0: Good morning, family. Good to see you guys. All right, thanks for that warm response back. That was incredible. I don't know if I can go on. Uh, Listen, grab your Bibles and open them up. Genesis 21 is where we're going to be this morning. Genesis 21, we've been in a series called A People of Faith. And surprise, surprise, that's what we have been learning about in this series. How do we become a people of faith? How can we improve in that? And uh, we're coming to the end of the series pretty soon, Uh, but today we're going to look at the birth of Isaac. The birth of Isaac and what that means to us as children of promise. Um, So it's going to be a really, uh, really interesting passage to look at. We're going to read verses 1 through 14, and then, uh, then I'll pray, and we'll get into it. Genesis 21, 1 through 14. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, and he gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much We have gathered here today with the purpose of telling you together we love you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, we have just read your word, and I pray that your word now would read us. I pray, God, that you would expose things in our heart, and our attitudes, in our life that we need to see and be brought into the light. And I pray that you would also expose Jesus to us and expose your grace to us. For we need both. We need to hear from you. And I pray that... uh, Lord, the word you prepared for us today we would receive with open arms and open heart because you are a good God worthy of songs. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There are some things that just, they just go well together. You know what I'm talking about, Heather? There's just some things that they, they really go well together. Like, like Oreos and milk, they go good together. Amen. You're going to say amen over Oreos and milk? All right, well, let's see if you keep that up later, all right? Oreos and milk, amen. Salt and pepper, they go really good together. You keep them, keep them together on the table, right? Peanut butter and jelly, bacon and anything, okay? They just, it just goes really well together. Vacations and sunshine, Batman and Robin, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, they just go well together. Pastor John and a tie. There's just things... They really blend together, okay. Now, on the other hand, there are some other things that should be separated. I mean, there's just some things that are just not really meant to be blended together, like myself and a tie, for an example. That that I mean, I can make it happen, but that's just not me. Uh, Democrats and Republicans during a political cycle, you just <laughs> do not go together. You got to keep them separated, all right. Two-year-olds and Sharpie markers. Just a parenting tip, it doesn't go, you don't blend those things together, all right? Texting and dodgeball, think about it, you'll get it on the ride home. That just doesn't go together. Laxatives and sleeping pills, you don't mix those together. You blend any of those things together, and you are going to get into a world of trouble, all right? And, and here's the big idea for Genesis 21. God's redemption won't blend with self-redemption. God's redemption won't blend with self-redemption. Now, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons I want to talk about why that is, and then, and then what are we supposed to do about that? And the first reason why God's redemption won't blend with self-redemption is because God's redemption is Spectacular. God's redemption is spectacular, family. Look at the text, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to to 6 and 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. God kept his promise, how he said to keep his promise, exactly when he said he'd keep his promise, right? And, And Sarah said... This is, this is the end of this part here. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? I'm thinking, she said that. <laughs> right? But she's changed. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God's redemption is spectacular because God has done the impossible. Not the difficult. Are you tracking with me? God has done the impossible. He did what could not be done. He has miraculously given Sarah a baby from her own body at 90 years of age. Sarah is redeemed by an act of God from her shame of being childless. This redemption is something that she could not do for herself. I mean, God has like drug this out just to make this point. Emphatically. Either God redeemed her, either he redeems her from her despair through Isaac, or she dies in a state of disgrace. Disgrace. It sounds different when you say it slower, doesn't it? No wonder she was full of laughter. She's smiling. She's overjoyed. In fact, Isaac means. Laughter, because that's exactly what he brought to his old mama laughter but this time she's not laughing in disbelief that she would bear a son like she was a few chapters ago this is a different kind of laughing she's laughing with uncontrollable joy that God has kept his promise to her and to the whole world a true son of Abraham has finally been born he's here this redemption is not only spectacular because God accomplished the impossible, but because God did the generous. Did you notice he said he, when he did to Sarah? He did generosity to Sarah. She in no way deserves this gift. Remember, her and Sarah have just come off the heels of another massive failure of keeping the covenant. And entrusting the Lord, remember that the covenant was a bond in blood between God and Abraham. Each party has conditions; they have stipulations that must be met in that relationship, like all relationships. God says, "I will be; I will bless you, and you'll be a ble- I'll make you a blessing." Right? And he says, "What? And you'll leave your father's house, and your kin, and your countrymen. I will be your God." And you will be my people. That's covenant language. I'll do this, you do this. And that's how we're going to relate to one another. That's how you're going to be in relationship with me. They've just broken the covenant again. Remember, God shuts all the wombs of the women. And God has Abraham pray for them. And they all can have children, but Sarah. Right after that, boom, I'm going to visit you. They've just broken the covenant again for like, what, four or five? I've lost count. How many times have they broken the covenant? They've been racking them up. God would be totally within his rights to say, look, we had a deal. I kept my vows. You broke your vows. Relationship's over. Now you get the curse of the covenant. That's what we talked about. That's what we agreed. He'd be totally within his rights to do that. But instead, he chooses to graciously bless them. I want you to feel that. He chooses to continue his plan of redemption in them and through their son, Isaac. Who were they? Yet God does this for them. Here's my point. Sarah in no way deserves to be redeemed through Isaac. (laughs) Though she's had these brief moments where she's trusted God, she has earned nothing. She hasn't earned anything. Her redemption is a gift of grace alone, and she knows it. That is why she's so overjoyed and overwhelmed, to be holding this little baby in her arms. She gets it. She gets it. Here's what makes God's plan of rescue to us so spectacular, just like Sarah was redeemed by the gift of a son, we are redeemed now through that very same gift. Because through Isaac's lineage, came Jesus. And through Jesus comes all the promises of God to us who believe in Him. Look at at this verse, John 3 16, well-known verse 17, not as well-known, but they go together. For God so loved the world that He Gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. I hope those words fall on you fresh as you hear them. Through Christ, we get what Sarah got and more <laughs> like the world. <laughs> We get at all of that and more. The promise of freedom from being enslaved by the things of the world. The promise to forgive all our sins. Not most, not many, all our sins. And that they be remembered no more. Not even brought up in conversation. The promise... To bring us into a relationship with our creator for eternity. And it starts now and it never stops even when we die. What is so spectacular about this plan is that Isaac was God giving a son to Abraham and Sarah. Which was very generous. But Jesus was God giving his own son to the world. And it was costly. See, that's costly when you give what's of your own. That is spectacular. That should overwhelm us, Crossway. That should overwhelm us. That should make us break out into laughter. We have done nothing to earn redemption. All of our efforts to please God, they were spotty, they were inconsistent, they were fickle, depending on the weather and how we felt in the moment on our best day. That's all that was. All of our efforts to live in a covenant relationship by faith in God, ultimately end in failure. Yet God brought us laughter and salvation by sending His own Son to redeem us when He should have judged us. And He could have condemned us. And He said, no, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to redeem you. Yes, you. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we cannot allow ourselves to get numb to the treasure of God's grace towards us. We cannot let that happen. We cannot allow ourselves to get so familiar with God's grace that it turns into white noise humming in our ears, that it no longer just staggers us, that it no longer stuns us when we think of it or sing of it or hear someone preaching about it. Show me a Christian that has stopped growing spiritually. Like, they are essentially the same person that they were five years ago. Show me a Christian that has regressed in spiritual maturity. And I will show you a Christian that has lost the capacity to be stunned by God's redemption. It's a big deal. It is the deal. You know, it just doesn't mean much to them but a doctrine to agree with and check off their list their box do you believe that you're saved by grace alone yeah yeah I believe that because it's true yeah yeah once I was really discouraged and um, that happens a lot but this particular time I'm talking to my wife about it and she's, I remember it. I'm going on and on and on, blah, 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 negative, negative. She looks at me and she says, I love you, sweetie. And I said, Yeah, yeah, I know, thanks. I, I, just, I was so engrossed with what I was talking about, I just kept right on going. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And I just keep talking, I just keep talking. And she waited for me to take a breath little pause. And she said, hey, did you hear what I said? She looks me right in the eye. Did you hear what I said? I said, yeah. What did I say? You said that you love me. She stops. She looks deep into my eyes. What did I say? You said you love me. And I realized at that moment... That the most beautiful words that I could ever hear from her had just turned into white noise. Mm, that's white noise. The words had entered my ears, and I had not heard them. The words had entered my ears, and I had not heard them. I had yah yad them away. Family, don't, yeah, yeah, God's rescuing you. Stop and savor how precious his grace is to you. He has redeemed you from the power of sin and death all by himself and all for himself. At great cost to himself. And that is spectacular. You see, God's redemption won't blend with our self-redemption. Because self-redemption makes a mockery of God's great gift. It makes a mockery of God's gift. Let's go back to the text, verses 8 and 9. It says, and the child grew. i just got a side note. This is for free. It's got nothing to do with the sermon. But I'm reading this. Two verses, he's born. It's like a blip. <laughs> All this buildup. All of a sudden, now he's weaned. Okay, a lot of time went by here. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. So he's not on mom's milk anymore. He can eat food. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, Egyptian whom, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So Isaac is a toddler now. Between, between the, the verse just before this and this verse, like a year and a half, two years have passed. Maybe three years have passed at most. Ishmael is about 16 years old. So can you visualize this? Little dude can barely, like, stand up and walk around and talk. 16-year-old teenager, strong, strong young man, all right? Remember, there's been 16 years of animosity between Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Abraham. Like, that hasn't gone away. That's there. There's tension. There's competition. Do you love me? Do you not? All right? This is not a blended family. This is a strained family. This is a dysfunctional family, and it was formed in sin. When you keep that in mind. And this is Isaac's big celebration, his big day. All of God's promises are bound up in his little life. They're all riding on him. And everybody's excited about it. Everybody in the neighborhood has come out to laugh with the mother that's laughing. Come join in my laughter. Come join in my laughter, she's saying. They're going to celebrate little Isaac. This is like his birthday and his weaning day and his coronation and graduation. like All rolled into one. It's a big, big celebration, and everybody knows about it and has heard about it. And right over here is Ishmael. And he's mocking little Isaac. The word translated here, laughing, means mocking. And we don't know exactly what he was doing, because the scripture doesn't say, and scholars are kind of, they, they have different ideas about what this means. Because he's stronger, he could have been showing off. Because, you know, Isaac, he can't walk so good, can't talk so good. Look what I can do, Dad. And he's drawing attention from the where it should be over here. He could be teasing him verbally. He could be teasing him physically, as older brothers are wont to do. He's much stronger than little Isaac. But the point is that Isaac is vulnerable to his half-brother. And he is not safe with him in the same room. Ishmael's not looking out for his younger brother. There are shadows of Cain and Abel all over the edges of this. From earlier in Genesis. Stretching down the quarters of time. The son who was born by Abraham's effort and the son who was born by God's effort are not going to coexist. They will not blend. We talked about this a few weeks ago that even though something historical is recorded here, Galatians tells us that something far more significant and spiritual is happening here as well at the same time. So let's go there, Galatians 4. 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according what? To the flesh. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Jump down to 28 here. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. He's talking about this passage in Genesis. Genesis. But just as, just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted. Well, he intensifies that mocking, doesn't he? Persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Why? Cast them out. Why? They won't blend. They won't go together. And there be harmony and be peace and unity. God is revealing to us two fundamental ways. When you strip all the extremities away, there's two fundamental ways to live life. By faith in God or by faith in ourselves. By faith in God or by faith in ourselves. When you boil it down, that's the two fundamental ways to live life. Ishmael was Abraham's self-redemption project. And that is what living by the flesh really is when you boil it down to its essentials. It is believing that ultimately we can and we will redeem ourselves if we work hard enough and long enough. We got this. We can do this. You see, until we really, fully embrace the fact that our redemption is both unattainable by our efforts and it is undeserved by our efforts, we will not see how silly our self-redemption projects really are. They're goofy, and we won't notice that. We won't recognize it. Guys, the idea that our moral report card Can somehow have the power to force God to redeem our life is silly. The idea that how much of the Bible we have memorized or how well we can control our anger when people upset us or how often we attend church somehow tips the scales in our favor makes a mockery of God's spectacular grace. Because if what you add to God's redemption is what really puts you over the top in His favor, then it's not God who really redeems you. It's you. It's you. Why does this make a mockery of God's great gift of grace? Because self-redemption takes away from the value of God's gift. That's why. Imagine this. Imagine, just close your mind if it helps, but you have a really great friend, whoever that friend is. They have a really dear friend that loves you, and they decide to make a beautiful wood cabinet for you. It's a gift from them to you, to show them how much that they love you. Because you're such a dear friend, they decide that this, this wood cabinet is got to be absolutely perfect. It's got to be flawless. And so they decide they're going to spend them extra money. They're going to buy the best materials, the best wood they can find. And they're going to spend hours and hours and days and days in their little shop. And they're going to make this cabinet for you. Sawing it, cutting it, measuring twice, cutting once. It's going to be flawless and they've stained it, and they've sanded it, and they've polished it, they've lacquered it, it's shined, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Finally, they bring you in to see the gift that they're going to give you, and you look at it, and you go, thank you, this is wonderful. Th- thank you for the gift. And you, you look over, and you grab a piece of their sandpaper, and go, I'm just going to add just one little stroke right here. And your friend grabs your hand and says, no, don't do it. It's finished because it's perfect. And you can't add one thing to it without, at the same time, taking something away from it. By blending our self-redemption projects with God's gift of Christ, by adding our good works to God's perfect gift of Christ, we are actually devaluing God's gift. It is subtraction through addition. Now let that math grab you. That's God's math. It's subtraction through addition. And here's the deal. When we do that long enough, I'm just going to add one. Just one more. When we do that long enough, it erodes our faith in God. And that's the thing that saves us, right? Faith in God and what he's done for us. That's how we are united with that. It erodes our trust in Him because God's promises aren't that precious to us. God's grace isn't that sweet to our hearts because it lacks something. Because we have to trust in ourselves a little bit. So, what do we do about this? What's the answer? If God's redemption won't blend with our self redemption, what's the answer to the problem? I'm glad you asked. We must abandon all hope of self-redemption. Now, that's the best kind of despair you could ever have. Am I right? That's the best kind of despair you could ever have. You must abandon all hope of self-redemption. Let's go back to the text, verse 10. So she, Sarah, said to Abraham, cast out. That's abandon. Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heirs with my son Isaac. There can be no blending of the two in the story. The children of promise and the children of the flesh, they will not coexist, they will not live in harmony with one another. Sarah sees the trajectory that this is on. She sees where this is eventually going to go because this is a little tip-off for her. And she knows it is not going to end well for Isaac and his seed. So she does something about it as a mother. She tells Abraham, get rid of them and then trust them to God. Let God deal with it. And he will take care of it. And God agrees with Sarah. And you know what? We can see this in the story when we read it. You probably picked up on this. This was very difficult for Abraham. Isn't this difficult to do? It's difficult. He obeyed. He kind of drug his feet. But he he did obey God. Remember, this wasn't just his son. Ishmael was his plan of redemption. Remember that? It's his plan of self- redemption to just abandon that plan into the hands of God was to admit that his way would not work finally there's a finality to that that he would finally admit that that his way could never bring redemption for his family and his seed he'd have to admit that to do this it was to abandon all hope that maybe one day God might be okay with mixing his plan with a little bit of Abraham's plan Guys, in order to fully embrace God's gift of redemption to the point that it changes us, like to the point that it actually changes you down to your toes, we must abandon all hope that we are going to be able to save ourselves, that we're going to make ourselves good enough for God. You tracking with me? There can be no blending of God's works and our works to bring redemption if we are truly children of God and children of promise. God says, give up trying to redeem yourself. And maybe someone here, you need to hear that. God is saying, give up trying to redeem yourself. Don't let that displease you. I have a better way. I have something better for you. Do we do good deeds? Yes. Do we obey the Lord who has saved us? Absolutely we do. But only as a glad response to the grace that he has shown us first. The order matters. The order matters. Those things have no power to make God love us. And they have no power to keep God loving us. They are only a means by which we show our love and gratitude back to God. We've got to get this. We need to know this, live this out. In order to abandon all hope of self redemption, we need to see two things crystal clearly. First, we must see how wonderful God's grace to us in Christ really is. We've got to see that. That's why I talk about it every week. And you need to be talking with one another about it regularly. You've got to see how spectacular His grace really is. Do you know how big a deal it is? Does it ever bring you to the point of tears when you speak about it? That something so wonderful could happen to you. I mean, does that ever happen to you? Does His grace ever make you want to laugh? And you don't say, but I'm not a laugher. Like that thought doesn't cross your mind because it supersedes your personality. It's so spectacular and wonderful. Does it ever make you want to laugh? Does His grace ever make you want to stop and say, thank you, God? Thank you. Just because. If not, then you need to be honest with God. You need to tell God. The church word for that is confession. I'm just saying, just tell God about it. You need to be honest and say, God, your grace actually isn't spectacular to me i'm being honest it's not that amazing to me it's just words in a song i sing and i'm sorry but that's where i'm at and i want to tell you because you will not you will not abandon self-redemption projects until what god has done for you becomes more impressive than what you can do for you now i know that's bad grammar but that's good theology Secondly, we have to see how good deeds only take away from God's gift of redemption. By adding to his gift, we are subtracting from it, and that mocks God. It's laughing at the gift. It's laughing. Galatians 6, 7, again, here's helpful again. Do not be deceived. Don't fool yourself. That's Pauline language for, hey, don't don't kid yourself, kid. Do not be deceived. Deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. From the flesh, corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Adding our religious activities and our moral behavior to God's perfect redemption in Christ is living in the flesh. It's living in the flesh religiously just not irreligiously. I hope that breaks a category for some of us because you need that category to be a Christian, a gospel Christian. Trusting in ourselves to make a way for God to accept us as living in the flesh. We need to understand that moralism and legalism and self-redemption doesn't help God and it doesn't help ourselves out. Moralism actually feeds our trust in self, which has a reaping effect. It destroys our faith in God. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You see, when you're trusting in your own morality to redeem your life, listen, when you're trusting in your moral behavior, your moral behavior is what saves you. Your moral behavior is what makes you acceptable to God. Your moral behavior is what God loves you. When you're literally, like, I'm talking about in the moment. Not what you subscribe to on a statement of faith. But in the moment, when that's what you're trusting to redeem your life. You cannot fail to be moral. You must. You have to. Because your redemption's riding on it. Right? Are you following the logic here of this? You cannot admit that you have an anger problem. You cannot admit that you have a porn problem. You can't admit that you have a greed problem. You can't admit that that you idolize your children or that you have difficulty making friends or that you have a problem being vulnerable with your weaknesses to other people in your church. You can't admit any of that. You can't admit you have problems with those things if you're trusting in your external performance to redeem your life. Even a slight bit. You know, it takes a little bit, right? Then you can't admit that you have those problems to anyone. And you know why? Because it wrecks your chance of self-redemption. People might not think so well of you. They might think you need a redeemer. (laughs) They might think you need help. And you can't let that happen because my redemption's riding all on this. And so we must constantly keep up that performance like a hamster on a wheel, and it's anxiety-producing. Because what if someone finds out, and what if someone sees, and what if I say the wrong thing? It ends in death. Do you see how futile self-redemption is, guys? Do you see how fake it makes us This is the thing non-Christians hate the most about us, is that we're fakers instead of authentic. Do you see how anxious it can make us? What if I fail? God says, abandon it. Abandon that. That's not going to blend. Tell God that you want to abandon self-redemption today for the redemption of Jesus Christ. And I'm talking to Christians and non-Christians. That's what we do. This is every day is a day of repentance. We never stop this. We're continually turning to the gospel, continually turning to God's grace and turning to his love and saying, yeah, I'm going deeper into believing that. We tell him that today. I love you guys. I'm gonna pray for you. Thank you, God, for being here. Thank you, King Jesus, for being with us. Jesus, your name is the name that's the highest. Because you are the one who has done what is most spectacular. And Jesus, I pray that right now that you would help us. You would help our church put down our hope in self-redemption, that our hope lies in our moral behavior and our religious activities to save us and to bring us into relationship and to keep us in a relationship. I pray that you would help us as a church abandon that radically and that we would grab hold by faith in Jesus Christ and all that you have done for us I pray that you would help us be more honest with you and more honest with one another. But God, we need you to help us see how glorious your redemption was, how much it cost you, how expensive it was for you and how we did not deserve it, but we got it. Let us live lives that say thank you to you that all of our obedience would be because we're, we're just saying thank you. So Lord, would you change us now? Would you do that now for us, for our good, for our sake, for our sanity, and for the sake that others would see you in us? And we thank you all, all of, you, all of that in, in Jesus' name. He's, he's so great. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.